0: Section five of the Diary of a Dead Officer by Arthur Graham West. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. Part five. Poems God how I hate you, you young, cheerful men. The end of the second year, the night patrol, the owl abashed, or the present estate of Oxford, Tea in the Garden. The Last God, spurned by the gods, the traveller, on reading ballads. God, how I hate you, you young, cheerful men. On a university undergraduate moved to verse by the war. Phrases from H. Rex Feston's Quest of Truth, poems on doubt, war, sorrow, despair, hope, death somewhere in France. He was killed in action and was an undergraduate at Exeter. His attitude is that God is good, amused, rather, at us fighting. Oh, happy to have lived these epic days, he writes of us. This, he had been three years at Oxford, is his address to the Atheists. I know that God will never let me die. He is too passionate and intense for that. See how he swings his great suns through the sky. See how he hammers the proud-faced mountains flat. He takes a handful of a million years and flings them at the planets. Or he throws his red stars at the moon. Then, with hot tears, He stoops to kiss one little earth-born rose. Don't nail God down to rules and think you know. Or God, who sorrows all a summer's day because a blade of grass has died, Will come and suck this world up in his lips, And, lo, will spit it out a pebble, powdered grey, into the whirl of infinity's nothingless foam. This ruined the reputation of all English atheists for months. God, how I hate you, you young, cheerful men, whose pious poetry blossoms on your graves as soon as you are in them, nurtured up by the salt of your corruption and the tears of mothers, local vicars, college deans, and flanked by prefaces and photographs from all your minor poet friends, the fools, who paint their sentimental elegies where sure no angel treads, and living, share the dead's brief immortality. O Christ! to think that one could spread the ductile wax of his fluid youth to Oxford's glowing fires and take her seal so ill. Hark, how one chants, oh, happy to have lived these epic days. These epic days! And he'd been to France and seen the trenches Glimpsed the huddled dead in the periscope, hung in the rusting wire, choked by their sickly feet or day and night blown down his throat. Stumbled through ruined hearths, proved all that muddy brown monotony where blood's the only coloured thing. Perhaps had seen a man killed, a sentry shot at night, Hunched as he fell his feet on the firing step his neck against the back slope of the trench and the rest doubled up between His head smashed like an eggshell And the warm gray brain spattered all bloody on the Parados Had flashed a torch on his face and known his friend shot breathing hardly in ten minutes gone. Yet still God's in his heaven. All is right in the best possible of worlds. The woe even his scaled eyes must see is partial, only a seeming woe we cannot understand. God loves us. God looks down on this our strife, And smiles in pity, blows a pipe at times, And calls some warriors home. We do not die, God would not let us. He is too intense, too passionate. A whole day sorrows he, because a grass-blade dies. How rare life is! On earth the love and fellowship of men. Men sternly banded, banded for what end? Banded to maim and kill their fellow men, for even Huns are men. In heaven above, a genial umpire, a good judge of sport, won't let us hurt each other. Let's rejoice, God keeps us faithful, pens us still in fold. Ah, what a faith is ours! Almost, it seems, large as a mustard-seed. We trust and trust, nothing can shake us. Ah, how good God is to suffer us be born just now, When youth that else would rust can slake his blade in gore! where very God himself does seem to walk the bloody fields of Flanders he so loves. THE END OF THE SECOND YEAR One writes to ask me if I've read of the Jutland battle, of the great advance made by the Russians, chiding History is being made these days, these are the things that are worth while. These not to one who's lain in heaven before God's throne with eyes abased, worshipping him in many forms of good that sat thereon, turning this patchwork world wholly to glorify him point his plan toward some supreme perfection, dimly visioned by loving faith. Not these to him when, stressed by some soul-dizzying woe beyond his trust, he lifts his startled face and finds the throne empty, and turns away, too drunk with truth to mind his shame or feel the loss of God. The Night Patrol, France, March 1916. Over the top. The wire's thin here, unbarbed, plain rusty coils, not staked and low enough, full of old tins, though. When you're through, all three aim quarter left for fifty yards or so. Then straight for that new piece of German wire. See if it's thick, and listen for a while for sounds of working. Don't run any risks. About an hour. Now. Over. And we placed our hands on the topmost sandbags, leapt, and stood a second with curved backs, then crept to the wire, wormed ourselves, tinkling through, glanced back, and dropped. The sodden ground was splashed with shallow pools and tufts of crackling cornstalks two years old no man had reaped and patches of spring grass. Half seen as rose and sank the flares were strewn with the wrecks of our attack. The bandoliers, packs, rifles, bayonets, belts and haversacks shell fragments, and the huge whole forms of shells shot fruitlessly, and everywhere the dead. Only the dead were always present, present as a vile, sickly smell of rottenness. The rustling stubble and the early grass, the slimy pools, the dead men stank through all, pungent and sharp. As bodies loomed before, and as we passed, they stank. Then dulled away to that vague fetor, all-encompassing, infecting earth and air. They lay all clothed each in some new and piteous attitude that we well marked to guide us back, as he outside our wire that lay on his back and crossed his legs crusader-wise. I smiled at that and thought on Elia and his temple-church. From him at quarter-left lay a small corpse down in a hollow, huddled as in bed that one of us put his hand on unawares. Next was a bunch of half a dozen men, all blown to bits, an archipelago of corrupt fragments, vexing to us three who had no light to see by save the flares. On such a trail, so lit for ninety yards, we crawled on belly and elbows, till we saw, instead of lumpish dead before our eyes, the stakes and cross-lines of the German wire. We lay in shelter of the last dead man, ourselves as dead, and heard their shovels ring, turning the earth, then talk and cough at times. A sentry fired and a machine gun spat. They shot a flare above us when it fell and spluttered out in the pools of no-man's land. We turned and crawled past the remembered dead, past him and him and them and him, until, for he lay somewhere apart, we caught the scent of the crusader and slid past his legs and through the wire and home and got our rum the owl abashed or the present estate of oxford considered in the augustan manner meanwhile the toga tully's phrase forgot makes way for arms the muses hover not as they were wont o'er oxford's day and night with calm usurpants and self-conscious right, Athene's owl once held prescriptive roost in every hall and college, and was used with academic hoot to calm abode from Eastern ifly up to Southmore Road. The great war eagle, subject of her ban, was weakened to a mild-eyed pelican, pecked his own breast and dropped a joyful tear when heroes compassed fifteen drills a year. But now the sapient fowl, with staring eyes and loud to woo, upbraids the unlistening skies. To palace shoulder flies she, there to stand, mailed is the shoulder, gauntleted the hand. She drops abashed, and wings along the high, Calling her brood with supplicating cry, Come, come, my Owlets, as in former days, Ye undergraduates and proud B.A.'s, Hear Carfax chime, Nine hours of day are sped, Why come ye not? Of course, they're all abed. Relieved she sighed, and seemed to hear their snores, To hear scouts hammering at a thousand doors, to know those waking dreams of shadowed pools, punts, girls, eights, waistcoats, proctors, dogs, and schools. She seems to see the breakfast table laid, to scent the coffee and the marmalade, his social song the genial kettle trolls, the eggs and bacon warm before the coals, a morning paper Decently inane lies by the plate to soothe the wakened brain Blest by such unobtrusive servile art the days of comfort comfortably start And yet I dreamt the shuddering creature said my bowers were rifled and my children fled the heavens disdained me palace self was cold Yet, when Mars ogled her, she did not scold. With din of arms rang all the ethereal clime, And tramp of deities a-marking time. Yes, t'was a nightmare. Ah, peace-loving men that rise at nine and walk the high at ten, To flaunt your socks or buy a straight-grained briar, Then back to doze with Livy by the fire. Here none need quake, where sleep embraces all, At shadow armies marching on the wall. To fretted minds, untuned by life's debate, Ye are indeed a draught mandragorate Thus far the owl, then gently bends her flight Where streaks of keble vivify the sight. Keeble that rose as Venus from the main in foamy spumings of a monstrous brain She reached the parks But what a sight was there her swooning weight scarce can her pinions bear These peaceful parks where chattering nursemaids talk where mail carts flock like Kentington's broad walk where until now Don's babies stumbling ran and consecrated all to Peter Pan, bristle with horrid arms, converted thus from field of peace to campus martius. She scanned this host of lithe brown-feathered fowl for something with a likeness to an owl. But there was none. She knew them eaglets, all of her unmindful, heedless of her call. In charge of sections or platoons they rant, these previous souls before immersed in cant. Those who taught Pompey how to play his cards hope soon to fight their Caesar in the guards. Forlorn she sees the warlike feathers tip, in act of sprouting on the upper lips undone she shrieked my nightmare all too true then off she flapped with dismal to woo woo december nineteen fourteen tea in the garden you see this tea no milk or sugar in it, like peat-borne water's brown translucency, where deep and still it lingers through the shade of hazel curtains. Well, this liquid jewel, this quiet, self-contained, smooth, rounded pool, this glowing agaric, gold-threaded dusk, tranquilly dreaming, yet shot every way by rays of china-filtered sunlight. Steam gliding in banks, whirling in eddy dances over the polished floor, now leaping off it in restless clouds that win a kiss of the sun ere a death, like semeles from the Levinbrand whisk them to dissolution. This brimmed cup let us pretend that it's a human mind that we've created for we poured it out I and will spill it if we like This mind a young man's mind clean Unadulterate and noble too as China tea minds are none of your vulgar one and fourpennies We'll govern as the gods do govern us He's happy now the man Wits clean, blood warm, and dim, delightful clouds of sunlit visions like steam are born and die in loveliness continuously. But he's not fit to drink, needs milk and sugar, and we poured him out the best of tea in a biscuit china cup because we meant to drink him. Milk and sugar will rather stultify his Attic salts, and cloud the clearness of his intellect. But we are gods. He is ours, and not his own, so pass the milk-jug and the sugar-bowl. Ah, how he lies and sweetly meditates, fond fool, those fair reflections in his mind slow clouds and passing wings, and leaves a flicker like little yellow flames on the poplar tree, and weaves an intricate theology from the silver teapot spout that gave him birth. Your hand and wrist, jeweled and braceleted behind the pot, well-wishing deities that made him out of love, Will care for him and bring him home at last. Pour in some milk. His light is dimmed, for quite impermeable is this dull, muddy fluid to the sun. Where are his glinting sparkles, amber glows, The glazed clearness of his mirror-like soul, As sharp reflecting as Narcissus' well? His blood runs colder. No more leaping clouds of vaporous spring to gaze on the sun and perish gazing. He's turned practical. His own word, that. Must keep his energies for the lukewarm days when life is on the lees. Pour in more milk. The cold white heaviness drops clean through all his being. Reascends like monstrous Births from wind Impregnate wombs in Cloudy humours Like a witch's cauldron His brain boils up In vaporous melancholy And pallid phantoms Hold in it high revel of Tireless whirling orgy Sugar him And a few bubbles Of air like noisome gas Come popping up And dully burst. A sweet, faint, opiate apathy Distills about his goblin-haunted soul. Thick, fatty blobs of yellow cream O'erlay his seething brain And spread a general obscuration, Drawing a veil betwixt him And the world of mirrorable beauty. A wrinkled rind, Like skin on a hag's cheek. That shows you still crinkling and creasing in fantastic flickers The weary ebb and flow of his sick mind. Come, let us end it. Take that silver spoon and stab him to the soul. The agony of its entrance may confound his fond beliefs Concerning us who made him and a flame of purifying hatred cauterize his poisoned being, such a flame as we might wince at, if between our separate worlds were any commerce found. Well struck, he's dead, and only posthumous nervous energy still sends the cream and bubbles floating round, HERE IS NO FORM NOR VESTIGE OF A MIND DRINK HIM YOU TAKE NO SUGAR NO NOR I OF COURSE WELL POUR HIM ON THE GRASS WE two ARE NOT GODS YET TO TORTURE WHAT WE RULE AND THEN FIND JOY IN THE MANGLED BODY TEA POUR OUT MORE TEA AND LET'S PRETEND NO MORE The Last God All gods are dead, even the great god Pan is dead at length, the lone inhabitant of my ever dwindling pantheon. Pan Pan, with what persistency I worship thee. I saw a little crumpled clover leaf starring the trench side greenly, or I heard a morning lark and thou wast at my side, smoothing thy child's hair, gainst thy curled flank, pillowing my loving head. When God and Christ abandoned me, thy universal temple was still my home, and I of all thy flock was welcome there. I think that I adored thee as few have ever done. My soul this spring thrilled with a fuller music to thy touch, that seemed to me more loving than of old, when most I needed love. O oh, love, love, love! Love in the ruins, love in toil and war, love in decay of lovers, love in death—I deemed love walked with me. Love crowned with life of flower and bird, And laughter of clear streams, and the new springing wheat. Now art thou changed to a foul witch. Thou art no Circe now, but Lachesis, or Atropos, That whippeth the tortured trees to anguish. Killeth joy of bird and leaf and flower. Thy cynic glance sours my old love to hatred. Thy caresses cause me to shudder. All thy colour, song, are crude and heartless. Woo me, woo me now as I wooed thee once. But I think that I, I shall walk on. Head high, nor hear thee more. Spurned by the Gods Last night, O God, I climbed up to thy house, So loving, passionate towards thee, That not the sharp, loose flintstones hurt my feet, The blood that the sword-grasses and low brambles drew, Whipping my ankles, flowed without a smart, The moment lent me wings, And poured divine and glowing ichor pelting through my veins, Chasing the slow, cold blood. Hot, blinding torrents of irised glory beat upon my eyes, And in my throbbing ears there did arise The mighty shouts of gods at festival. There I, thy daughter, thy frail child, half-dead from my great love of thee, choking with sobs and panting lungs, my soul rapt to the sphere where choirs the eternal music. My poor body affrighted that these ears should drink the hymns of gods and heroes. Lowly on my knees I crouched before thee, and resigned my life to thee, o'erpowered by the trembling ecstasy of Deity's completest immanence. I waited, hardly breathing, hour on hour through the peering night, wishing that all the strength of thine unshamed, myriad-formed desire and manly fervour might delight in me, and, like the sacred fire, seize me and so consume me utterly. O sweet renown of Danae and Europa, fierce white bull, would I have asked thee mercy? Mercy! I would have bared my breast to horns and hoofs, and joyed to feel thy hot breath on my face. To have thee gore and trample me, To die a kneaded, quivering mass, Thy splendid horns and swinging dewlap Dripping hot with blood. Or hadst thou come as erst to Danae, Gold in heavy, stunning cataracts, Red gold beating me down, staining the lilied skin As summer hailstorms ravish The frail vines, stamping them in churned mud. Would I have whimpered neath the tremendous lashes of thy love? Nay, as I fainted into happy death, smothered in the embraces of thy golden arms, a panting reef of gold, each several piece would seem to lie upon me like a rose. And I should dream I was a child again, buried in cowslips. This was what I prayed. I offered thee no empty sacrifices, no locks of hair nor entrails of a brute. I offered thee myself, my loveliness. I kept it all for thee. I was not timid, not coy before the King of Gods, and thou, Thou drab, uxorious tyrant, sat at feast, champing the meat, and craned thy neck, and leered upon me, naked on the ground. Then beckoned to Juno, and in suasive, wheedling tones murmuring in her ear, pointed to me, thy silly, sentimental votary. And all the gods flocked round, as once they did round Aphrodite, strained in golden mesh to Ares' flanks. Loud laughter shook the sides of all the blessed gods. The blessed gods! And I grew cold and fearful. My dishevelled hair was damp with dew. The fires of adoration flickered. Burnt blue and died in smoky doubt. Thou hadst not come. Once more thou hadst not come. Once more I stumbled through the cold, dead light of windy dawn Along the rocky path. No little stone but stabbed now. No sly blade of grass or bramble, But deliberately soared through my skin, until I cried. I lurked deep in the wild wood, Durst not face the eyes of the village folk, But thee I could not fly. Thou took'st a satyr's form, From every shadow glinted thy grinning teeth. I heard thy laugh in the cry of the magpie, Mocking thy poor dupe. The burden of intolerable shame that thou hast bound on me, Thou wilt not touch to lighten with thy finger. THE TRAVELER Oh, I came singing down the road Whereon was naught perplexed me and pan with art before me strode, and Walter Pater next me. I garnered my impressions up, lived in each lovely feature. I burned with a hard gem-like flame, and sensitized my nature. We wandered up and down La Beauce, along the castled river, where rarely came the deathly frost to fright us to a shiver till at a corner of the way we met with Maid Bellona, who joined us so imperiously that we durst not disown her. My three companions coughed and blushed, and as the time waxed later, one murmured, pulling out his watch, that he must go. "'Twas Pater." And very soon Art turned away, huffed at Bellona's strictures, who hurried us past dome and spire, and wouldn't stay for pictures. But old Pan, with his satyr legs, trotted beside us gamely, till quickening pace and rougher road made him go somewhat lamely. The rents in the La Basse road, the cracks between the cobbling, the wet communication trench, they set poor Pan a-hobbling. He couldn't stand the shells and mud, the saphead or the crater. He used to say the very rats went somehow agin later. When we were back behind Bethune in comfortable billets, we two would greet the advancing spring as she sailed up the rillets and lie neath the fantastic trees to hear the thrushes quiring till young Bellona smelt us out, and startled Pan with firing. My heart bled for the kindly God who'd sought so long to serve me, and so I sent him back again. He prayed might heaven preserve me. I went unto the martial maid, who laughed to see me lonely. We're rid of them at last, she said. Now I'll be honoured only. And still we fare her road alone in foul or sunny weather. Bare is that road of man or God, which we run on together. Seeing Her Off A whistle mid the distant hills shattered the silence grey, She turned on me her great sad eyes, then lightly skimmed away. I followed slow her flying feet in idlest heaviness. But, oh, my heart, it laughed to see, roar through the proud express. In the after-silence and the gloom I found her there again, and won three minutes more delight. BEFORE THE SECOND PAIN. ON READING BALLADS In June 1915, having weekend leave from W. Camp in Surrey, I spent the Sunday with my sister, roaming through the moors and woods round Rickmansworth and the Chalfonts. We had not seen one another for many months, and in close conversation forgot all the world except our two selves. This experience of intimate aloofness reached its climax when, having missed the train at a wayside station, a chance which meant my being late in my return to camp, we lay down in a field by the track, and, waiting for the train, read ballads to one another. The sudden rediscovery of the verse quoted a sixteenth-century anonymous lyric so intense personal and modern in its vivid cry among the long objective ballads startled us both back to the world of pains and desires where we two must leave one another and she return to school and i to camp and the army we lay upon a flowery hill close by the railway lines apollo dusting gold on us between the windy pines We watched the London trains go by full of the weary folk who travelled back that Sunday night to six more days of smoke. They stared out at the whirling fields, and when they saw us two, they turned their heads to follow us till we were snatched from view. The year was at the summer's spring when grass is fresh and long, and flowers are more in bud than bloom, and cuckoo's slackened song. The sainfoin and the purple vetch nodding above our lair sighed on the western breeze, whose might could barely stir our hair. The hawk weed on our ballad book sprinkled its pollen fine, and now and then a beetle dropped and wandered through a line. Sir Patrick Spens we loitered down, Tamlin and Young Bican and almost felt the sunshine weep for the lass of Loch Royan. Stanza on stanza, endlessly from her lips or from mine, benumbed our dreaming souls like drops of a Sassian wine. I watched her while she read to me, as children watch their nurse, until my being throbbed to hear this solitary verse. O western wind, when wilt thou blow that the small rain down can rain? Christ, that my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again. The little verse cut through the twists of the dream-twined spell, and Robin Hood sank back again with the wife of Usher's well, and an illimitable desire quickened our souls with pain. We knew that we were still at one with the people in the train. End of Part 5 And End of The Diary of a Dead Officer by Arthur Graham West Recorded by Ruth Golding for Remembrance Sunday, 2010